So I hope that you'll follow along tonight as we uh, get into the word. But in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his, his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now there's some requirements, but there's also some great promises there in those three verses. So let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get to the message for this evening. Now, precious Father, we seek to preach your word again as it is to men as they are. But Lord, I'm insufficient to preach your word. It must be thy Holy Spirit that speaks in me and through me. It is thy spirit that must take this word and speak to each heart. And I pray that each person, whether they're watching by a live stream tonight, listening on the radio, or here in this auditorium, will listen, not as a message from me, but as a message from God as I preach his word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, when we started this series, one of the first things that we covered was this, that when you make a vow unto God, the Bible says, defer not to now, a vow is simply this. It is a promise that you make to God. Sometimes you make it at an altar in a church. Other times, it's in your private time alone with the Lord. Maybe it's in uh, a morning devotion as you're reading the Word and just praying and talking to God. And He impresses something on your heart. You may hear... Uh, Listening, driving down the road, listening to WTYG, and, and the preacher says something, and it speaks to your heart. Uh, years ago, we had a man up in North Carolina. He was an anesthesiologist, was having some troubles in his life at the time, and he heard as I was given the plan of salvation that day. He pulled his car off the side of the road and asked the Lord to save him. And as I understand, to this day, he's still serving the Lord. He got, got in the church up there where he lives up in North Carolina, and he's serving the Lord. But what I want you to know is that God spoke to his heart. I delivered God's word, but I'm just the messenger. God spoke to his heart. But he made a decision, and it's a decision that has uh, lasted because he made it, because the Lord laid it on his heart through the word of God. The Lord gives us his spirit to speak in us and through us. But if you make a vow unto God, he says, defer not to pay it. We looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, that lets us know that only a fool doesn't keep his word. I've, heard, I've actually heard people say in this day, well, vows were for the Old Testament. Oh, so when you made a marriage vow, it didn't really mean anything. Oh, well, 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 that's different. Yeah, yeah, your marriage report vows a whole lot more important promises you make to God, isn't it? You know, sometimes if you figure out the ignorance of what you're saying, you won't say it. No, your vow is your word. If your word, word is no good, then you're scum. 
Your word is important. Now let me use an example of that. We use an example of marriage as an illustration of it. When you get married, you make a promise to love, honor, and cherish, to keep myself only to thee so long as we both shall live, till death do we part. Now, <clears throat> that's not multiple choice, okay? I mean, well, I like the love part. Now, some of those other things I don't care for. No. That's a commitment. But you're giving your word. Many times I perform a wedding here in the church. As we say, it's before these witnesses, but before God and man. That's the vow. You're making a vow to God, but it's before God and man. And he witnesses that vow that you've made to him. Marriage vows are sacred. It's the lowest of the low who breaks those marital vows. But it's also needs to be understood that if you made a vow unto God, God also made a vow unto you. Him that come to me, I'll in no wise cast out. We sin. We fail. We come short of the glory of God. We often do. But he won't break his vow. But if we come back to him and ask forgiveness, he'll forgive us. And in the same manner, a partner breaks the vow, forgive them. They want forgiveness? Forgive them. Yes, there are things that have to be accomplished. There are things that have to be done. But my friend, understand. Understand. It's a great thing to forgive because then you are being Christ-like. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, we won't turn there, but I'll just uh, say this. So often we preach on that when we talk about the relationship in the home. Uh, Wives, submit yourselves and own your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. And you read verses 22 through 33 there of Ephesians chapter 5, and many preachers have used that as to preach on the home and the relationship between husband and wife. And, and it's not wrong. But when you get to verse 32 of that chapter, he lets you know, I'm speaking about Christ and the church. You know, if you're saved, you're part of the bride of Christ. If you're saved, you're part of the bride of Christ. Now, you think about that. In the Bible, he's showing this there in Ephesians, that if you're a woman, you're representing what a Christian is to be to God. Subjection, loving, etc. If you're a man, you're supposed to be what God is to us. I think the greater demand is on the man. Because... Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And there's a great uh, expectation on the man from God. I think it's good to maybe sometimes sit down with your family, your children, and, and teach it to them. You've got children still living at home. Understand one day they may marry. The person your child marries your child ought to see that they meet the criteria required of their respective gender. Uh, now, by the way, don't expect an apology. None's coming. God only made two genders. If you don't like that, then take it up with God. He only made two genders. There has ever yet 
to be that little exam they do on a lady to find out whether it's a boy or a girl that they ever said, oh, it's a transgender. They'd never do that. There are only two, but Ephesians chapter 5 lets you know ahead of time what a person's supposed to be. For an example, a young lady may say, well, that young man that we're talking about marriage, will he love me? Will he be there for me? That young man may want to say, well, that lady be the kind of woman that I want to raise our children. Will she stick with me through thick and thin? And so there are problems that you look at, things that, will they do this? And that is important. That those are things to check out and see, and yet those things can change. But again, uh, marriage represents the relationship between a believer and Jesus Christ. So your marriage should reflect that. If you want to honor God in your marriage, let your marriage show that as a man, you love your wife, as a woman, you love your husband, and you do what the Bible says of those things. That is your promise to God. And more importantly, your promises to God are more important than even your marriage vows, and your marriage vows are important. Your vow is supposed to reflect that relationship that you have with God as testimony to your children, to the world. And that shows what a true salvation is all about. And it shows us that when you give your vows to God, just like when you make your vows in marriage, those promises that you make to God should be kept. Should you stray from those promises? Come back. Get it right with God. Do what's right. Most couples read the things listed in, in Ephesians chapter 5, and what happens if there's a problem in the marriage? You know what they do? If it's a lady, she says, well, he's not doing this, and he's not doing this. If it's a man, well, she doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. You know what? They're more concerned about what the other person is doing. But a marriage vow, you're saying, I'm going to do this regardless if they keep their word or not. Christ keeps his word, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee when you receive him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. He never breaks that word. Too often, we're the ones who break the word and those sacred vows. You know, every vow that you make at an altar or every vow you make at home in your personal time with God or wherever you are, just understand that's an act of love for God. It's communion with God, and it's a promise to keep it regardless. Now, so often people do not consider that before God they have responsibility in their marriage as well as in their Christian life to do their part. 
You don't need a marriage counselor today. You simply need to obey the scriptures. Then fulfill your duty, promise before God that duty toward your spouse. Even if they don't. You see, you've given your word. As I said earlier, if your word means nothing to you, you're scum. If it's easy to break your word, you're scum. A preacher, I don't like that. That's, that's hard. No, that's truth. If truth is hard, there's some work that needs to be done in our heart, you see. And that's the thing of love. God chastens those that are his own. Remember the Bible tells us, the Lord chastens. That means he spanks. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 12 says he chastens and scourges. The word scourge means a flog with a whip. Sometimes you go through those trials. Sometimes you go through those troubles. Sometimes you go through things in life that God's trying to chasten or straighten out our lives. But it's a thing of love. Well, the next thing that we considered in this series is here right in verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word counsel has the idea of advice for living and decision making. That's what counsel is. Now, so often, the problem revolves around uh, from where and from whom you get your counsel. Look, the best counsel comes from the Word of God. The absolute best comes from the Bible. The Bible says of him... He is the counselor. He is our counselor. It's not professional counselors who have been educated in today's philosophies birthed by a God and Bible-hating, Bible-denying uh, haters of God who, if you check out their record, it's abysmal at best. Look, I've had them sit in my office. We've talked about marriage. Say, so are you a professional marriage counselor? No, I'm not. I tell people, basically, I'll tell you what God says. It's up to you whether or not you want to do what God says. I'm not the counselor. God is. If you're saved, he's living in your heart. I just try to direct you back to what he says. But understand, I've had them come in my office go through and we talk about things, and just some of the things I've shared with you. Concentrate on what, am I fulfilling what I'm supposed to do, not are they fulfilling what they're supposed to do, and they usually walk out of there. And I've had them say, what's different this time? They've been to professional marriage counselors, they've even been religious professional counselors, and had even religious counselors say, well, your marriage cannot be healed. That tells me if he's a religious counselor, <laughs> He doesn't believe in the power of God. Now, we shared many scriptures to show that God is the one who counsels us through the word of God. That's why he's called the counselor. 
But we must depend on his word because it counsels us through his word and his Holy Spirit works through his word. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 138 too, he says that he's exalted his word, this good Bible, this King James Bible, he's exalted his word even above his name. Now one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a strong name of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. They'll bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Amen. at the name of Jesus. And yet he's exalted his word even above that great name of his. The challenge is to do God's will, God's way, in God's timing. No matter what it is that God gives you to do, walking daily in obedience to his word. Now understand uh, that walking in the council means you do what the scriptures direct. You do it never wavering. That is walking in his counsel. You want God's blessing? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, then you walk in his counsel. In the world, you can have success in man's opinion, but die miserable, broken in spirit, although you may have great possessions. You see, it is not a multiple choice thing again as to whether or not you walk in his counsel or man's counsel. If you want to reach forward in your life's decisions, then do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And by the way, you know what that word ungodly means? without God. It means it's without the use of God's word to direct. It's without the use of God's word is the authority. It's without God. It's ungodly. Well, we've got some professional psychologists. We've got some professional. It's science-driven. Trust the science. Trust the science. Uh, they're telling us that. You know, we've heard that about the COVID thing. Trust the science. Okay, what if I said to them, trust the science, there are two genders. The same people telling us trust science about everything else have a problem with that. Do they know what science is? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? You see, they don't refer to God and his word, and they never counsel from the things of God's word unless, unless, they can twist God's word to fit their worldly counsel. Remember we said this morning, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love worldliness and being like the world, the culture and everything else, then my friend, there's a problem of your love towards God. Blessed is the man that doesn't stand, walk in the way of sinners, in the counsel of the ungodly, should I say. But secondly, 
Blessed is man that doesn't stand in the way of sinners, we're told here. And what's, the, what's the difference? Walking in the way, or walking in the council, and standing in the way of sinners. This person, it might be on the job. <laughs> it can be in a school. It can be in a neighborhood. No matter what it is, they, they uh, see a movement that doesn't like the rules, that doesn't like the standards, whether it's of the job, whether it's of the school, whether it's of the church, whether it's of the neighborhood. They don't like the standards. And they'll see people stand against it, and they'll automatically stand with them. They'll automatically stand in the way that they stand. If it's anything of authority, you'll see them stand standing against authority. They take a, a position of devil's advocate. Look, I've, I've, had, I've sat around men that'll throw the opposite thing of doctrine. And, and, and some have done this in Bible colleges. They'll, they'll say the opposite of what the Bible actually says. Well, these kids have to learn to answer. And so, yes, I, I, I may have said this, but really, they got to learn why they believe what they believe. Uh, how do they know what they believe if you don't teach? The old story of counterfeit money, they don't teach them what a counterfeit looks like. They teach them what the real thing looks like. So that when the wrong thing comes up, they'll know it's wrong. The word of God is the right thing. There's a devil's advocate out there. Just realize he or she is a problem when they rebel against leadership or against rules, standards, whatever it may be. Sometimes a teenager rebels, a child rebels. Now, parents, I'm going to say this in love. The Bible, you know, we, this says speaking the truth in love, and, but sometimes truth hits you hard. Sometimes it hits you right between the eyes. But truth is truth. When it's God's truth, it's never wrong. And sometimes you'll say, well, they're picking on my child, or that didn't happen. And listen, any time you justify rebellion in a child's life because they're your child. Well, I'm standing up for my child. No, you're not. You're standing against your child whether you know it or not. When your child learns to not obey the law, when your child learns to not obey authority, when your child learns to bend the rules, you're not helping them, you're hurting them, you're encouraging them to a lifetime of rebellion against God. Now, if you've said this, I'm not pointing you out. Okay, I am not pointing you out tonight. But... There are people, there are many people that have said the same thing. I'm going to say it tonight, and I'll tell you this. Usually, among teachers in a school, this is the joke. Okay, this is the joke. And they'll say it to one another, laughing. My child won't lie to me. Or, I can always tell when my child is lying. Look, we 
I've heard that over and over again myself. And before too long, you're going to see your child standing in the way of sinners. And what that ends up doing is down the road, that ends up bringing heartbreak to them and to your home. You want, to walk, you want them to walk in the right way because they're going to be the father or mother of your grandchildren. You better learn how to walk in a way that pleases God. Now, so when you see someone who always seems to stand in that other way, watch out. Watch out. So again, you want to walk with God. You want to walk according to God's word. You want to do God's will, God's way. The person who stands in the way of sinners, are they, as we said, will only take the Bible if they can twist it out of context. And they're the people that will make negative comments about whatever it is. Jude 4 warned of these people who stand in the way of sinners. In Jude 4, it says, there are certain men crept in unawares. You know what that means? It means they've come in it's like they've snuck in the back door. They've come in pretending they're one of you. They're just like you, but they really aren't. They want to spread their thing. Who are before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. They may be religious, but they're ungodly. They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. You know what that means? That means anything goes. Lasciviousness doesn't matter what it is. It's all right. One of the restaurants that advertises no rules. And that's what it is. This kind attacks the rules, especially those that are built on Good thing. Do you know, one of the things, and I'll use this as an illustration. Years ago, I'd just come here. I was, uh, I'm not even sure if I was a pastor yet, but I'm sitting at a table in a restaurant. And a parent walks up to me and says, I think it's a bad thing that you don't make the boys wear a belt at school. I really didn't know what she was talking about, but I knew she had a teenage son. And I'm in the middle of a meal that I'm trying to finish. And I'll tell you what, <clears throat> my attitude was not the best. Okay, I was probably wrong in my attitude, but I made this answer. I said, you know what's worse than that? She said, what? I said, it's parents that don't have the guts to tell their children you're wearing a belt today. That's the way she left. Now, now, let me say, that wasn't the right way to answer her. But what I'm saying is this. 
is they wanted the school to do their job. OCA, or Central Baptist Church, does not replace the parent in the home. We teach the word, but parent, it's your job to train them up in the way they should go. That is your job. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 is very interesting. I won't take you there right now, but just to say this. Lasciviousness says all of these things are right. They want to justify everything. Oh, it's all right. You can do this. You can do that. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 talks about people. Some were homosexuals. Some were adulterers. Some were thieves. Some were murderers. Some were drunkards. And at the end of that verse, verse 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you're washed. <laughs> but you're sanctified, set apart for God. See, he forgives those sins. If a person comes in repentance and faith to him, he will forgive them. He will change their lives. You know, what can we do to help change their lives? Let the Lord change them, get them introduced to the Lord, and teach them how to walk with God. There are people who get mad and and not follow you be, uh, to be part of their crowd. They won't allow you, should I say, to be a part of their crowd. Because you don't rebel with them. And the thing is, they'll say bad things, they'll say things about you. You know, I've never been unfriended on Facebook. I think I would be if I was on Facebook, but I'm not on Facebook. I don't even have a page. Some block them. Oh, they can, somebody can go on Facebook and say something nice. Oh, I don't want them saying anything nice about us. And they'll block them. Okay. Real Christian attitude, you know. But if you don't stand with them, at least your relationship with God is good and strong. Far better in your relationship with God. And in your spiritual position in meeting the needs of life. And eternal reward. If you're saved... If you are saved, but you have no power with God when you pray. Yes, you're saved, but somewhere along the line you've lost power with God. Well, it may cost the life of someone you love, your home, your health, because you're now standing in the way of sinners. That is destruction from A to Z. You don't see it at first. Everything, oh, the world loves you. But don't you want to have power with God, especially if it involves one of your loved ones? 
So, understand, you've got to decide what place the Lord has in your life. Don't neglect your personal responsibility to walk with God, to be faithful to his word, and do what he saith. My friend, just understand, if you stand in the way of sinners, it does have a price. So, I ask, the kind of friends you have, do they reflect the relationship that you have with God? Is it rebellious or is it righteous? Now let's just cover th uh, thirdly one more thing here in this first verse. The third thing that we're warned of, uh, we're warned of is not to sit in the seat of the scornful. In the book of Nehemiah, they, they were building a wall. They were building a wall. Jews, they'd come back and they were going to build this wall. And their enemies didn't want them to rebuild the wall, but God had given direction to do it. And they start to scorn them. Yeah, they, they were scornful. They are saying to each other, if a fox ran up, that wall would fall down. But you know what? That wall was being built. And as it's nearing finish, they were upset, they were mad, they wanted to attack then. Then the workers had to work with a trial in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. But they did the work God gave them, and they finished the job. The scornful is the guy that will sit around, undermine people, especially if they despise them. They disdain them. Did you hear that so loud? Oh, that preacher, what's wrong with him? Isn't that the dumbest thing? They don't even know what's going on, but they'll come in and they'll undermine it. They do that on the job. I've said in break rooms when working in the secular world, I've heard people just run down management and ownership as well. I mean, I've seen those that an owner invented something and brought it along, and somebody sitting in there hadn't done anything in their life saying, they don't know what they're doing. Look at that. That's going to mess up. That's going to fail. And about a year later, that company is thriving, and that person's looking for a job. Might tell you something. That might tell you something about the scoffer. The scornful, they scoff, they find fault, they have contempt. Whatever it is, because their number one hope is for failure, whether it's in your home, your job, your church, your life, your ministry, or whatever it is. Many times they're moved by jealousy. Other times, they're just moved by they didn't get their way. They're upset because they didn't get their way. Well, this way it should be done. They didn't do it that way. Yeah. 
I used to hear saying all the time, well, who died and made you king? <laughs> okay. And sometimes that's what the scorner is. And they sit at the seat. You, what now? He said that walketh not. Okay, they listen to that counsel and they do it. Stand not the way of sin. Hey, okay, yeah, I'm standing here with you. Or sitteth. Sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In other words, they're at rest. They're at home. They, they, they're completely all right to scorn and run down anything that's right or good. That's where they are. Whatever they scorn, whatever they say, they may twist the scripture along the line, but it is not it. They are built there. Now, you say, what causes people to be that way? A lot of times I think this is the problem. They may have a religion, but they're not saved. They, their thoughts about God show they don't really know him. They scorn that which goes against what they want. I really wonder, are they truly saved? You see, you can be a person <clears throat> that knows the facts. This is how you get saved. You know scriptures? Listen, the one that has scriptures memorized better than any of us in here is the devil. But he's not going to be in heaven. Are you totally at peace and know, based on the Word of God, you can show from the Word of God how you know that if you die tonight that heaven's your home. See, these problems doesn't mean you're saved or unsaved, but these problems can show that if you are saved, you're really backslid. But if you are saved, do something about it. If you're not saved, if you're not sure you're saved, just simply realize this. Jesus said, <clears throat> and he said this to religious people, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You say, preacher, I hear, I hear them say repent a lot. What does that mean? Let me give you an example. We talked about marriage earlier. Forsaking all others, keep myself only to thee, so long as both shall live. What has he done? He may have dated five people. She dated ten. Okay. It's usually the way it is. And, <clears throat> and they say, okay, I'm turning from all to one. Okay, that's repentance. But it's a repentance that says this is what's best. Turning from, okay, I want my way. Oh, I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm going to do the best I can. Turning from all of that and turning to Jesus Christ. He's your Lord, he's your God, your, he's your Savior. And so we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. What was the ignorance? Well, there's people making images. They had one that said to the unknown God. We have a God that we can know. But now commandeth 
all men, this is God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. When Jesus was dying on the cross, now let me close with these verses, Romans 10, 9, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Lord, that speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. He existed as God the Son throughout eternity past, but in spirit. God is a spirit. He was in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago when he took on human flesh. At that time, he came for one purpose. That was to die on the cross for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. And to three days later, raise up bodily from the grave. So he says, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, deity, Jesus, his humanity. And believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You're saved from your sin. You're saved from your sin's consequence. And you're saved unto eternal life. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The righteousness you're believing unto is not your own righteousness. Look, Central Baptist Church nor any other church can get you to heaven. No pope, no imam, no religion can get you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. That's going to be your only way to heaven. What is the righteousness? Well, Jesus in his humanity never sinned one time, and he fulfilled the righteousness that God demands. So he died in our place, taking our penalty upon himself. He died there. He was buried and he rose from the dead. Bodily. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, that is the Christ righteousness being in your place. Ephesians 1, 6 says, I'm accepted in the beloved that is in Christ. And with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God doesn't lie. If you'll come to Him in repentance and faith, trusting Him with your heart and life, He'll save you. If you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, I would make sure. Let's bow our heads, please. Heads